You're listening to the Wellness Insider Network, episode number 34. Welcome to the Wellness Insider Network podcast, a place where you discover how to create a balanced, vibrant, and stress-free life with the right food, herbs, and self-care techniques. I'm your host, Lana Camille. I'm a college professor, drug information pharmacist, and an herbalist. Thank you for joining me on this adventure. Let's get the show started. Hello, Wellness Insiders. I hope you're doing well. What are your favorite daily, weekly, or seasonal rituals? If you talk to my students, they will mention Friday night dates, taxes, final exams, as well as some simple things. But what about your rituals for your health? Last week, I shared with you an interview about creating morning rituals. And this week, I decided to take it a little bit deeper by following teachings from one of the oldest medical systems in the world known as Ayurveda. My today's guest is Dr. Pratiba Shah. She is a leading expert in Ayurveda with 25 uh, years of experience and practice. She holds a bachelor's degree of science, master's degree in Ayurveda, and master's in public health. She's a founder and president of Council for Ayurveda Research, Holistic Health Alliance, Ayurvedic consultant at the Well Life Clinic. Dr. Shah shares her passion for Ayurveda and presents concepts in a very simple way, so they are easily understood and can be uh, simply implemented. By the end of this episode, you'll understand the basics of Ayurvedic health rituals and hopefully will be more curious about exploring further your body type. Enjoy. So, Lana, thank you again for uh, having me on the podcast. Uh, one thing I really want to state very clearly at the beginning itself is that uh, whatever I say in this podcast is meant for educational purpose only. Um, it is not medical advice and should not be construed as a medical advice. It is not a replacement for anything that your caregiver has uh, recommended or prescribed. I just wanted to be very clear that this podcast is meant for educational purposes only. Good morning, Pratiba. How are you doing? Good morning, Lena. I'm very well. How are you? I am good. I'm good. I'm so excited to have you here. So uh, during this semester, you came to visit uh, my students twice, and I was so excited about the latest discussion that we had that I absolutely had to have you um, on uh, this podcast because I really wanted the audience uh, to hear this conversation. So before we begin talking about rituals in our lives, I want to ask you how you became interested in medicine. Tell us your journey. Um, tell us how it all began. So interestingly, um, uh, so first of all, thank you for having me on this uh, podcast, Lana. I'm, I'm excited to be here. And I've had a great time at MCPHS, very engaged students. And the, the idea itself is very exciting to introduce Ayurveda to pharmacy students. Uh, so thank you for thinking about it and having me over there. Um, my journey into Ayurveda has been a little uh, atypical and uh, not the usual route. 
uh, I was um, interested in becoming an architect. Okay. Um, and uh, my father, like a typical Indian Asian fathers, um, in that time, uh, so I'm talking about 19 uh, early 1980s. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was he was interested in me becoming a teacher or a doctor, uh, but I was determined to be an architect. And uh, there were a sequence of events where uh, I took some, um, uh, you know, just momentary decisions, and I I got onto a train, joined my family. I was I was a little impulsive when I was. Uh, a high school mm-hmm. graduate and um, one thing led to the other and I was out of town when my interviews were announced for the architect uh, architecture co- engineering course oh and I ended up missing it and then I my father took me to another place where there were really good engineering colleges um, I was not getting architecture as the choice there I was getting mechanical civil so long story short, I um, um, had to pause and think about my options at that time. And my father suggested that instead of taking a gap year, um, I should consider, you know, he was still trying to cajole me to uh, examine and evaluate uh, some sort of medicine course. And because the modern medicine admissions were closed at that time, mm-hmm. he he told me about this Ayurveda college and um, with nothing else much as an option, I decided to go and interview there. And uh, I got into the course and I, you know, started attending with a little bit of reservations. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, I must say that my first first year was very uh, impactful, very transformative. I had, amazing faculty and um, I got very deeply interested and intrigued by the system uh, which was talking about the whole being and which was uh, talking about the differences between modern medicine approach and a holistic approach and um, that was the hook and I think I always think that it was my destiny to be in Ayurveda because I was led by very unusual circumstances to be in Ayurveda. And then out of choice, I decided to pursue not only an undergrad of five and a half years, mm-hmm. but also a three years MD course. And uh, that that has been my journey of education in Ayurveda. Of course, it didn't end there. I have been constantly doing one course or the other uh, to continue to educate myself out of this vast ocean of knowledge. So, and mm-hmm. all, yeah. all of this was happening in India, right? And so you said that yes. because our listeners probably are not as familiar with the uh, Indian system of education. So you said that you completed the first, uh, the first part of it was five years, right? And then you uh, said five and a half, five and a half. And then there were another three years, sort of like a graduate degree. And so you became a physician. Yes. I mean, you become a physician with five and a half years in India. Yeah. Uh, but I also got a master's, so MD. Um, oh. I mean, I'm called an MD Ayurveda in India. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. So that was optional. I mean, that is optional. People oh. need not get an MD degree to be able to practice in India. Five and a half years course 
makes you eligible to practice medicine in India. Okay, that's great. And so you did practice in India for some time, right? Yeah, so I was again very fortunate that my father directed me to attempt to uh, give the All India exam for uh, the central government uh, services, which is like a, um, it's a very competitive exam. And if you get selected, then you become a high placed government uh, employee um, and uh, with a lot of perks and whatnot. So as I was doing my master's degree, my father continued to persuade me to um, try for this exam. Mm -hmm. And ultimately I did. And um, I was, I was very lucky to be one of the only 12 physicians selected all over India for uh, these particular posts, which were of medical officer with the ministry. So I was with the ministry for a good 13 years. I was the chief medical officer with the Ayush ministry Mm -hmm. before I left India for the United States, where my husband got a very good job opportunity. Uh, So we came here as a family. And then in a couple of years, it was very clear to me that none of them wanted to move back. So I ended up applying for resignation from my post there. And it took a couple of years to get processed. And uh, that was a gap for me to try and think what will I be doing next in my life. Um, I was on a dependent visa, you know, which did not allow me to work here. So I I used the time to give my GRE and ultimately decided to do a master's in public health. Um, I was fortunate to get uh, admission in Boston University School of Public Health. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got a merit scholarship and I I had a fantastic learning uh, two years in Boston University School of Public Health. And uh, after my MPH, I managed to get my work visa. And now we have a green card and I have been working in integrative medicine setups for the past uh, eight years or so. That's great. So tell us a little bit about, you know, um, so you're practicing in an uh, uh, integrative uh, practice, as you mentioned. So what yes. is a uh, average um, appointment for someone who uh, comes to see you, comes to see an Ayurvedic practitioner? What does the average visit look like? Sure. So first of all, I'm very proud to be part of a sort of a pioneering initiative um, in this practice. Uh, There is true integration, and that is the medicine of future, as you can imagine, where we cherry-pick the best from all available forms of medicine for uh, client-centric care. Mm -hmm. So I I feel that is the uh, futuristic model of care, where really all the arms of caregiving are speaking with one another and collaborating for the best interest of the client. So I'm really, really proud to be part of Well Life Medical, which is a very unique practice where under one roof we have two primary care physicians. We have, uh, I believe, four registered nurses. Uh, We have myself, uh, acupuncture, a variety of massage therapists, essential oils, um, many other holistic modalities, Mm -hmm. all under one roof. Uh, where the client can really 
choose and the practitioners are also collaborating to really uh, identify the best uh, integrated program for the client. So I'm really, really um, gratified to be there. It's very fulfilling to work in such a practice where there are no walls. Uh, so that's a beautiful experience in itself. Now, a typical consult uh, is uh, the initial consult can take anywhere from one hour to one and a half hours, mm-hmm. depending on the history of the client. And uh, typically, it's a very in-depth intake where I, in the initial visit, uh, first visit, I really want to know each and everything about the client, um, including their current health concerns past medical histories, uh, a typical day in their life. Um, and as, as an Ayurveda enthusiast, you know, body typing is a very unique aspect of Ayurveda. Mm-hmm. So uh, in the first visit, I use the forms that I have developed, the intake forms that I have developed, and I assess what is the blueprint of my client. Mm-hmm. And that's a very, very important and useful activity because it not only helps me identify the model of my client, it also helps me educate them that this is your model and um, it, it will be certain foods will be more uh, beneficial to you versus certain other foods and lifestyle choices which will not be in alignment with your particular model. And I'm also able to personalize and customize the uh, wellness program or protocol as per their unique body type. So that really makes uh, a way for a very targeted and uh, specific plan for the client. So that's what it looks like. So I I give them a written plan. Typically, you know, I like to invest time in writing out a plan for them. And they not only get a written plan, but they also get herb and herb formulations guidelines uh, and uh, most of these herbs are available in the United States online uh, mostly. And it's very convenient for them to order and get them and uh, start the protocol. That's great. So can I take you back to the blueprint? So the blueprint mm-hmm. or the constitution, or there are many different ways to, to call it. Um, there are three main constitutions. Um, so, uh, Vata, Pitta, Kapha. And so, uh, they, mm-hmm. and they are different in, in different cultures as well. Can you talk a little bit more about them? Sure. So very broadly speaking, I mean, this is a very, Vast topic in Ayurveda, as you know, it is the basis of not sure. only the wellness assessment, but also the treatment protocols um, or the therapeutic protocols. So Vata, Pitta, Kapha are, uh, can be understood as three energy principles in the body. Mm-hmm. Um, vat, so we come back to the very fundamental principle in Ayurveda where um, we talk about a metaphysical concept that the entire universe is made up of five uh, metaphysical elements uh, mm-hmm. and fundamental elements, which are earth, water, fire, air, ether. Ether is space. Okay. So we talk about these five elements being the building material for the entire universe. Mm-hmm. Um, and that includes all living and non-living beings. Um, now, if you imagine, for example, uh, a rock, um, 
you know, it's it, most of my clients come up with the correct answer when I ask them, what is the dominant element in it? And they say, it is earth. Um, and then I ask them to describe the rock and they say it has a mass, it has a shape, it has a form. And then I correlate uh, the same features with a human being who may be earth water dominant. So it is easy for them to correlate when they think about another thing in the universe and they're able to compare. And the earth water template, just like the rock, also has significant form so they are broad they are big big bones etc so physically um, as well as um, uh, in in their disposition uh, uh, rock for example is stable inert earth water people are also very stable takes a lot to stress them out and they are very uh, physically uh, they tend to be inert sedentary in nature so uh, these correlations help the client to understand that the the body type could be uh, dominant in certain elements and that dictates their characteristics, which could be physical, which could be physiological, which could be psychological. So when we talk about constitu- constitution mm-hmm. or uh, a body type, it is not just these three. You can think about, I mean, one can have a dominance of only one, but as you can imagine, there could be thousands and millions of permutations and combinations of these three vata, pitta, kapha. Vata is air, ether, pitta is fire, kapha is earth, water. So these five elements or these three energies, whatever way you want to look at it, could have many, many permutations and combinations. So uh, what we talk about in body typing is somewhat like Ayurvedic DNA typing, you can say. I mean, Mm -hmm. not exactly so, but in many ways, qualitatively, you can say that we do a a unique blueprint assessment of every client that comes uh, into the consultation. So earth, water, fire, air, ether are the five elements. And their representation in the body have been named as vata, pitta, kapha, mm-hmm. which, as I as I said, vata is air, ether, pitta is fire, and kapha is earth, water. And I'm happy to give you like broad um, characteristics of all uh, the three energy representations, if you like. Sure. So, um, if you think about pure vata pitta, kapha, body types. Um, I will describe just the top few characteristics of Mm -hmm. each one of them. Uh, But I think it's important to remember that we all have the five elements and it is possible to have combination body types. Actually, it is very common to have combination body types. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is also not uncommon to have very dominant of only one type of energy representation so I will give a few um, top characteristics of each of these three energies, okay. and uh, you can you can you know our listeners can visualize people they know who might be uh, exhibiting um, characteristics of um, either one of these. So vata, air, ether tend to be um, very thin, 
lean, bony, uh, less muscle mass, uh, light in nature, um, and uh, vata as it constitutes with air and ether, um, vata people have uh, usually exhibit dry, uh, light, and cold characteristics. So they tend to get cold easily. They tend to dry up easily. Now, drying up easily means that their joints can have um, air sounds. Mm -hmm. They can degenerate easily. They can lose the synovial fluid easily. Their bowels can get dry easily, which means they can tend to be constipated. Mm-hmm. Uh, air and ether, as you can imagine, are light and they uh, flow easily, move easily. So uh, air and ether people tend to be um, <clears throat> creative, okay, artistic, and um, uh, it it takes them. It's challenging for them to be grounded, you know, because mm-hmm. air ether are light in nature. So they tend to be more fluctuating in their nature rather than stable in their nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they can have tendencies, as I mentioned, to constipation, uh, arth- osteoarthritis, and uh, also because the nervous system falls under this uh, energy, uh, they can have neurological issues easily than the other body types. Like anxiety uh, and something similar. Yes, okay. anxiety, mental instability, memory loss, okay. etc. Um, lack of focus, yeah. So the fire people don't have to worry about these issues. Their worry is, as you can think about, fire can burn easily in mm. the universe. That's what we see about fire. Mm-hmm. So in the fire, fire body type people, uh, fire tends to be easily in excess. So if they are not aware and they are feeding into their fire unknowingly through food and lifestyle. So for example, what could be the foods that uh, aggravate fire? You know, So think about the heating food. So for right. example, a glass of wine, um, jalapenos, mustard sauce, vinegar, all of these foods, we know that when we consume, we feel our body temperature rise. So these are heat generating. Now Mm -hmm. think about a fire body type and they already have fire element in excess. And when they feed frequently on more heating foods, their fire can tend to go into excess. Mm -hmm. And the excessive fire, as we all know, what does excessive fire do in the universe? It burns. Right. So the excessive fire in these people can burn them internally, and that means inflammation. Mm-hmm. So the fire body types, the, the most important thing that they have to watch out for and worry about or not worry about or be aware of Mm-hmm. is inflammation right? because they tend to get inflammatory conditions very easily. For example, um, colitis, arthritis, sinusitis, gingivitis, rosacea, bleeding, hypertension, all of these. Okay. 
So every body type, so similarly you see the earth water as we talked about, you know, they tend to be sedentary because earth is the heaviest element. Mm -hmm. So mentally, mentally it is a plus because it keeps them very grounded and stable. They don't get stressed out easily. It's a very uh, positive feature in earth water people. But physically, earth water ends up grounding them uh, to wherever they are, you know. So they tend to uh, find it difficult to break status quo. uh, So they end up being more sedentary in their habits Mm -hmm. rather than active. And these are... These are all natural wirings in these people. It's not that they are choosing to be lazy. Mm-hmm. It is a blueprint that creates these tendencies in these people. So the earth water people have to worry about weight gain, about diabetes, congestions, etc. So uh, with this overview, I think uh, it will be clear to the listeners that with every body type, you have certain uh, positive aspects or certain strengths in mm-hmm. that body type. So, for example, fire body type tend to be very ambitious and they have a strong drive uh, to get things done. They are, you know, goal setters, go getters. Uh, so they usually end up being leadership, uh, being in leadership positions. Uh, so that is a plus for them. But they also tend to burn out mm-hmm. easily. Uh, so again, with with uh, every body type, like we have models of gadgets. Uh, similarly, you know, every body type comes with some features mm-hmm. and um, is not able to perform certain other things. So uh, it is a very easy to understand concept, but very profound because, uh, again, I would like to draw a comparison with an appliance or a gadget. You know, whenever we get a new appliance or a gadget, the first thing we do is we take out the user manual right. and we read about, you know, what is the capacity of this gadget? What can it do? What functions can it perform? And what are the precautions? Always for any gadget, there are precautions. Now, we are also like a machine, but we fail to make that connection and, you know, we never spend time understanding who we are, you know. So we, most of the times, you know, people are uh, choosing based on what everybody else is choosing, you know, what is popular out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's very profound to really understand who you are, what is your model, what is your blueprint, what are your capacities, what are your precautions. And then take life from there. And then life becomes much more easier as far as health is concerned, Mm -hmm. much more easier to keep it on track rather than fall off the track. I love that is a beauty. Yes. And I love that you uh, brought up the comparison because what we also do with our gadgets is we know how to maintain them, right? We know what to do with them on a semi-permanent or consistent basis. And so based on what you're saying, there might be a connection there as well. So can you talk to us a little bit about how these different body types 
would behave or would benefit from different types of rituals, whether it is daily rituals or maybe it is weekly uh, rituals or monthly or seasonal. Can you talk to us about that? Sure. I mean, that's a great uh, point you brought out, uh, Lena, is the maintenance part. Because uh, if you are a student of Ayurveda, you will uh, know and appreciate that most of the the chapters in in the Ayurvedic treatises, the beginning chapters, are dedicated on primary prevention and maintenance. So Ayurveda really focuses on preventative practices and maintenance practices. So if I were to describe Ayurveda in a minute, you know, like an elevator pitch to someone, I like to say Ayurveda is about promotion, prevention, and personalization, the three P's of Ayurveda. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's expand a little bit on that. So as you rightly said, that with any gadget, we are also trying to educate ourselves. How do we maintain this uh, particular gadget or appliance? You know, what, the, what are the uh, rituals we need to follow for maintaining the health, right? Maintaining right. the efficiency and the operations of that particular machine. So the three P's of Ayurveda, just to repeat, that the three P's of Ayurveda, which are really very uh, depicting of, of the uh, Ayurvedic approach, prevention, promotion, and personalization. Right. So let's expand a little bit upon the uh, maintenance part, as you said. So the maintenance part, part uh, is really about promotion and prevention. So let's uh, unpack that a little bit. Sure. So when we are born, we are born with, let's say, an X um, um, level of health. So the smartest thing to do is really hold on to that X level of health and not let it become X minus one, right? Right. So, so it's important to maintain your health. So Ayurveda provides um, wonderful guidelines. How can we maintain what we have? And then the second thing comes that how do we promote further? So how can we make it X plus one right. over the period, over the course of our life? So not only not make it X minus one, hold on to the X, but also how do we make it X plus one or maybe X squared? So what are those practices? And then uh, prevention. How do we not only hold on to our health, but how do we also ward off illnesses? And then the third part is the personalization. So if you, um, of course, whatever you do, whether you do prevention, promotion, or therapeutics, how can you personalize to the blueprint of the individual? So these are very, very profound principles which you know really um, take the uh, width and the depth of Ayurveda. Mm-hmm. So the maintenance part, the maintenance part, it's, it's again a very, very vast topic and there are all kinds of practices recommended in Ayurveda, including, as you mentioned, daily practices or seasonal practices, um, physical practices, mental practices. Um, so many, many guidelines are there. Now, if if you... Uh, recall in 2017, I think the Nobel Prize for Medicine was given to 
uh, some deeper understanding of circadian rhythm right uh, yeah so that is uh, exactly what ayurveda propagates that the universe has a rhythm if you if you look at the sunrise the sunset the moonrise the moonset there is a rhythm there is a particular pattern and our body is also a creature of pattern it does best when it is in a structured routine mm-hmm. it's a creature of habit so ayurveda has given wonderful guidelines uh what time to wake up how should you uh adopt integrate certain wellness practices on a daily basis so that your machine machine you know our our physiological machine remains well oiled well functioning uh fully uh, operating on its full capacity and and there are no um, wear and minimum wear, uh, wear and tear uh, so the maintenance and the promotion part uh, i can mention a few practices that Please is a do. very very vast sure. vast topic yeah so right from waking up time and uh, you're a student of ayurveda and you you know that there are dosha times we talked about vata pitta kapha the day is divided into uh, four hour blocks 6 to 10 am is kapha time earth water time it's slow time you're just waking up you're beginning to generate some energy some activity some momentum 10 to 12 is pitta time that's when you're most active your metabolism is high you have the biggest meal of your day and then 2 to 6 is vata time there is a little bit of slump in your energy you start slowing down you wind up your day towards the end of the day and then again from 6 to 10 is kapha time Mm-hmm. and it's recommended that you eat early because your metabolism from 6 to 10 is lower um as compared to the rest of the times of the day and you eat early so that you have enough time to digest it before you go to bed and most importantly it's recommended that you are asleep between the 6 to 10 uh time window because this is the earth water period and the most conducive for a deep restorative sleep if you cross the 10 pm line you will start feeling awake again because that is the fire or the pitta time and you will start getting hungry again and all your to do list and everything will come out so this is as far as the broad overview of the segments in your day and in your night and to be aware of the metabolical uh tendencies in these times and to align with them as far as possible because the more you align the better you flow otherwise there is a dissonance with the natural rhythm so this is a very profound thing to understand and assimilate in your day to day life the second thing is just like you know we use machine oil to maintain our machines um there are certain rituals that are recommended in ayurveda which you can 
do in the morning uh, to make sure that your machine, the physical and the physiological machine, is well oiled and running smoothly. Mm-hmm. So I'll I'll mention just a few practices. Uh, they could be uh, oiling your entire body with base oils such as sesame, coconut, or herb-induced oils. Um, there are many of them, and you could select something that is more suitable for your body type. So you oil uh, your external skin mm-hmm. and rub it in, which is called abhyanga. You rub it in, you are stimulating your nerve endings, you are stimulating a better flow of blood. Uh, basically, you're taking care of the largest organ of the body, which is also the first barrier between you and the uh, other beings outside your body. Right. So that is that is one of the very common ones. And there is also a practice of oleating your orifices, which includes your nares, nostrils, mm-hmm. uh, your ears, um, and uh, eyes. But I would say be careful about the eyes, Be learn about it, mm-hmm. or get it done by someone who is trained. But definitely the ears and, and def- most definitely the nose, uh, because, again, nose is the doorway to the respiratory system. And if it's dry, that's the first break in your immunity, in your respiratory immunity. So make sure you are oleating your nose uh, regularly, especially in the winter when it tends to dry more. And then there are practices such as oil pulling, uh, which uh, on which you can find a good number of studies, how it prevents um, gum diseases, uh, it's really preventative for TMJ and uh, certain other, you know, ENT issues. It's very beneficial for your ENT health, ear, nose, throat health. Mm-hmm. Uh, so oil pulling is very well um, known and it's popular. Uh, it's a popular practice. Um, then um, uh, th- there is uh, taking care of uh, your uh, crown chakra, which is like your uh, the space between the fontanelle, uh, the anterior and posterior fontanelle, that's considered a very um, impactful area in the body from which you can transdermally, uh, you know, um, send some herbs and other healing um, ingredients uh, to the inside of the body. So there are uh, there are rituals where you can put rasnadi churnam, which is a powder, on the top of the head after bathing, and that uh, really protects you against cold and uh, flu. Um, again, these are these are I I would like to make sure our listeners understand these are not medical recommendations. These are more uh, wellness practices which mm-hmm. come from a very ancient tradition. And these are uh, what I'm saying is more educational in nature and sure. not intended to replace any medical advice. Of course, of course. So, uh, so, so yeah. So these are some of the 
Yeah. Yep. Can I take you back for a second? So uh, the oil okay. practices, so whether it is using the oil uh, externally all over your skin or uh, on specific different orifices, is this something that's typically done daily? Is it something that's done a little bit less frequently? How typically, what do you see or what do you recommend? So uh, it is important to be very realistic about these practices. Uh, in in today's life, I would say whatever fits into your schedule, if you can do it daily, it is fantastic and you will reap the benefits of it. But if you cannot do it daily, if you can even do it alternate days, twice a week, once a week, and Mm -hmm. the weekends, whatever you can do uh, will bring you benefits, no matter how... I mean, once a week is the minimum, I would say. That okay. that should definitely be the frequency to be able to get sustained benefits. Some of these practices can be time-consuming. Others are not. For example, in the winters, I really like to apply oil inside my nostrils very quickly before I step out. Mm-hmm. And that has uh, that really helps a lot. I, I, it helps some of my younger clients. Uh, you know, um, get uh, prevented from common cold and cough mm-hmm. um, in in many ways. So it's it's a very easy practice, right. uh, and I would really recommend that some of these practices, which do not take time, should ideally be daily. Mm-hmm. Some of the practices that can take time, like uh, the body massage, if you cannot do it on a daily basis because of your work schedule. Uh, I think weekends are a good time to bring it in. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, it depends on how well you plan it. For example, oil pulling is the, one of the most time-consuming, but if you're doing oil pulling as you're doing some of the other things in your morning routine, uh, it can be integrated easily. Okay. And so uh, one thing that you mentioned that it can be done with different oils. So sesame is one of mm-hmm. the uh, common one or traditionally used, but coconut oil. And I think you mentioned one other one. Um, they can Mustard all- oil. Mustard oil. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So this is for massage. Mm-hmm. For oil pulling, I would typically recommend sesame oil as the top choice because it is the classical recommendation. Mm-hmm. And the studies also show that sesame oil has better antibacterial activity compared to coconut oil, which is more sweet okay. in taste. Okay. So it is um, not that unconducive to the bacterial growth as sesame oil is mm-hmm. in the oral cavity. Um, and uh, while choosing the base oils for massage, one should... Uh, ideally consult a practitioner so that they can recommend what is ideal for your body type. For example, for the fire body type, mustard oil will be the the most unsuitable because mustard oil is heating and Mm -hmm. it's very um, pungent, very sharp. Um, So that will aggravate the heat elements in the body. So the coconut oil would be the uh, oil of choice for uh, the pitta or the fire body type. So it's important to choose what is right. There are right. many choices available. But again, personalization, let's talk about the personalization P. Sure. And uh, that that really, uh, you know, Ayurveda talks about Lena being in flow. You know, uh, mm-hmm. the river flows best when there are no obstacles. Right. So um, 
any dissonance that you create by choosing unfavorably, unwisely, you know, uh, which is not suitable for your body type, creates a dissonance or obstacle in the flow of physiology and that creates the groundwork for disease processes. So any um, seasonal rituals that you could uh, mention just uh, very briefly here? Sure. So uh, we continuously talk about the five elements and the three energies, you know, earth, water, fire, air, ether, mm -hmm. and vata, pitta, kapha. Uh, we, we continue to bring these principles as we talk about the variety of topics covered in Ayurveda. So seasonal rituals are also uh, very important, very emphasized in well-being in Ayurveda. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in preventative practices. Um, and again, talking about seasonal practices before we begin, um, even even nature has a season pattern and mm -hmm. it maintains that season pattern. Uh, typically, the seasons come as predicted most of the times when, when the earth is and the nature is calm and happy. Mm -hmm. If things are going wrong, we, have, we do see some aberration. Mm -hmm. But uh, everything changes when the seasons change, um, the activities of the birds, the nature of the trees, everything around us changes. And therefore, we cannot be living uh, exactly as we were living in, the, living in the previous season when the new season comes in. So culturally, if you see, we do start eating differently and uh, activities change as the seasons change. So there is some traditional wisdom in every part of the world where we, our food habits, our food choices change. For example, we don't have apple cider in the peak of summer. Mm -hmm. We don't have eggnog or um, uh, heavy uh, creamy foods in the uh, height of summer. Um, these foods come out in wintertime. Okay, so we see some cultural patterns already. Right. Now, Ayurveda, Ayurveda, for example, says, now we, just, we are just coming out of winter. So, for example, in winter, because the qualities are cold and damp and heavy, mm -hmm. we, have, we have the earth water elements accumulating. Also, we have air ether also aggravating because... Uh, Cold, because of the cold nature, because the air ether also has cold quality. So mm -hmm. because of the same quality, these factors can get aggravated. So in winters, you have to watch out for the dryness that uh, sets in. We all know that in winter, our skin is drying, our uh, all our orifices are drying. So the oil part that I talked about is very useful in winter. Right. It is also uh, said in Ayurveda that in winter, our metabolism is the highest at, at any point in the year. Mm -hmm. So the winter months, the November, December, January, February, these four months, our metabolism is the highest. And if you see culturally also, most of the festivities, right from Thanksgiving, Christmas, even for Indians, the Diwali, and most of these festivities fall in these four months. We are able to eat sumptuous dinners um, and uh, lunches and do well with them. 
Right. And, uh, and, and that is the kind of food habits that we need to change. And as we get into summer, we are going to get into warmer temperatures. We cannot be eating like that because the metabolism is the lowest in the summer and um, uh, the months after that, where in India we get the monsoon, so we call it pravrut. So in those months, our metabolism tends to be the lowest. So we should not be eating heavy meals. So we, if you uh, think about how we eat in summer, mostly we are tending to drink juices. We tend to have watermelon for lunch, or we tend to have uh, liquid cooling uh, foods. Right. Right. So uh, innately, we have an understanding, but Ayurveda elaborates more on it and gives us more tools and options to eat and uh, also indulge in activities that are more appropriate and more uh, beneficial rather than harmful uh, as the seasons change. And the more you align with the seasons, the less you are likely to suffer from issues that emerge from seasonal transitions because we know that as seasons change, certain viruses and bacteria get active. And if you are not living in respect with the seasonal rhythm, uh, your uh, vulnerability or susceptibility to these viruses and bacteria can be more than others who are following the rhythm. That's, so this is just an overview. I mean, we have that, a lot of detailed. Right. Yeah. It's, I don't know, I am always so fascinated. Uh, much of what, when I listen to you, when I uh, learn more about Ayurveda, one word that comes to my mind is always balance. So it's figuring out what you are and how to balance your own nature, how to balance nature around you, how to adapt and bring that, you know, um, the, the, that, uh, state of flow, as you mentioned earlier, uh, to help you to exert the least amount of energy that is necessary. So, uh, I think there is so much wisdom, um, and it is absolutely always so fascinating to me. So, Pratiba, as we are coming to the end of this interview, I have a couple of more questions for you. So one of them is, um, mm -hmm. Do you have any resources that you uh, personally like or that you can recommend to our audience? So for reading or either it could be reading, it could be learning more about Ayurveda. I know that you have your own uh, blog uh, and so that could be one of them. Um, but anything mm -hmm. that would be helpful um, in terms of learning more about Ayurveda and the ways of Ayurveda? Sure. Um, so, yes, my blog is on Facebook. It's called My Ayurveda, where I share uh, some educational articles, uh, some information, guidelines about healthy living. Uh, so that is that definitely could be one resource. Uh, there are some books written for the Western audience, which are introductory in nature, mm -hmm. uh, which could be uh, helpful for a newbie to understand and get an overview of what this uh, approach is. Sure. Um, I, think, I think if the listeners can look up by the author name, sure. Vasant Lad. Okay. I think Vasant Lad has written some nice introductory books. Um, so V-A-S-A-N-T-L-A-D. 
uh, Vasant Lad. Um, he has written some um, very simple language introductory books, uh, which could be the uh, you know step, good easy stepping stone into the world of perfect. Ayurveda for uh, anybody who's new. Um, internet you. is full of uh, information, but I don't want to mention any particular you know resource uh, because some are um, some have particular strengths um, in this way or that way. But yes. yeah, internet of course is a good uh, um, place to look for anything. Perfect. <laughs> but of course, there are risks involved with it. With it. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So, um, is there anything that you want to um, uh, tell our uh, audience that perhaps we have not discussed before? Um, so, just to close on the resources, one more thing I want to sure, say sure, sure. is that uh, there are there are also courses that are offered, um, okay. structured courses, certification, diplomas. Uh, by a variety of institutes. I'm also a senior faculty with Kerala Ayurveda Academy. So if someone wants to really get a structured education, uh, that is also available in the United States. Uh, so I, I'm you. happy to talk more about it if anybody is interested. Sure. Um, so I think to just um, summarize uh, this intro podcast about Ayurveda, I think the... I like simplicity. That's my personal um, style of uh, learning as well as teaching. Uh, so I think a simple way of thinking about your health, because I don't like to complicate things. Mm -hmm. uh, the simplest way to think about health is, uh, is as a journey, not as a goal. First of all, that is a very, very important distinction that health cannot be looked at as a goal because you don't reach a goal and then do nothing about it. Mm -hmm. So we live, you know, our life is dynamic. We live in a dynamic universe. Uh, we are constantly affected. A night, a bad night's sleep can affect your physiology the next day. So think about life as a constant journey where just as, see Lena, as we are driving on a highway, mm -hmm. sometimes our car, our car can slide into um, the next lane um, right. unknowingly, right? Mm -hmm. And then we realize, and then we bring it back to the lane that you need to be. Sure. And then sometimes you realize, oh, it's gone to the right side now, and then you bring it back in. So health is somewhat like that. You know, it's important to just be aware that we are going off of center. Mm -hmm. You know, the self-awareness, I think, is the biggest piece of this whole thing, is really you know your body best. So learn to tune in, learn to be aware, have self-awareness uh, sessions with yourself, spend time on yourself, mm -hmm. learn, be friends with yourself, become familiar with yourself. That mm -hmm. is the most important thing. Because if you are in the driver's seat for your own health, uh, that is the most powerful uh, asset that you can have. If you know your body well enough, then you will know when you are not in your lane, when you are off course, and you will be able to bring it back to the center with all the, some of the wellness practices that we talked about. I mean, there is so much to learn about it. But if you know what is your model, if you know what is right for your model, if you know the strengths of your model, 
if you know the cautions for your model and if you continue to develop an understanding and uh, an awareness of yourself which is your physical physiological as well as psychological self and you continue to bring it back to center you continue to maintain and promote your health then you are good i mean we are we are all programmed for death when we are born um it is important how we live life between birth and death that is the most important point we cannot avoid death but how do we live the life that is between being born and dying is really up to us and you if you make the best choices with respect to who you are you will have the most optimal most functional most productive life that you can hope for Pratibha, thank you so much. Uh, tell us one more time the um, website for or the name for your uh, blog, and I will be, uh, make sure to include it in the show notes as well. Okay, sure. So my blog is My Ayurveda. Um, that is on Facebook. Mm-hmm. I can be reached at docpratshah at gmail.com. I'm happy to... connect with any of your listeners who would uh, want to learn more about any other resources or be directed to any courses or consultations um i'm i'm happy because i am very passionate about ayurveda and i it's my life mission to uh, advocate and propagate ayurveda in the west so i'm happy to be of help in any which way to your listeners and it's been a pleasure Lana to be thank on your you. podcast. Thank you so much. Always fascinating. Thank you Pratibha. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you have enjoyed this conversation with Dr. Pratibha Shah. You can find the links mentioned in this episode in the show notes at wellnessinsidernetwork.com/34. Additionally, I have also prepared a quiz for you. Um this is something that um I have learned a very long time ago and to be honest with you I don't really know uh at this point the original resource but what you will find in the show notes is um a quiz that allows you to explore your own body type and so this is all that has been discussed uh during today's episode by Dr. Shah This episode is proudly brought to you by Spice It Up Creative Cooking with Herbs and Spices. Spice It Up is a weekend workshop that Leslie Carrier will offer this coming weekend uh, from June 29th to July 1st at her home and her organic vegetable and herb garden. You can find additional information in the show notes. Thanks again for being here. I appreciate you. Be smart, be healthy, be you.